It's Giving Tuesday and the need is immense. On this podcast version of The Start, a disturbing story out of Ontario that's highlighting just how many people are being pushed to the breaking point because they can't afford the basics like food. Plus, what's the need at Harvest Manitoba and Silo? The provincial conservatives are walking away from a plan that would have seen some liquor sold in some grocery stores as part of a pilot project. Why? And after all this talk, all this planning, does that make sense to you? Plus, a headline we couldn't walk away from. Research out of the U of M has found that climate change may have left more male squirrels on the prairies shooting blanks, while squirrels in Africa are growing larger feet. It's an important study, if not a tad bizarre, so what's the strangest thing you've ever researched, studied, or even Googled? I'm Laura McNabb alongside Greg Macklin and Brett McGarry, and this is the November 29th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. It's right now, we want to just get right into this here because uh, there's some troubling information in this story that, that is we are compelled to share with you. For more than a year now, there has been a steady increase in Manitobans looking for help to put food on their tables. Yeah, so last year at this time, we know Harvest Manitoba was giving out 11,000 food hampers per month. Then by February of this year, that number jumped to 12,000 hampers. That was a record high ever for Harvest, but the records keep coming. So summertime, 13,000 hampers a month. Last month, 15,000 hampers. So a nearly 40% increase in the need over a year and counting. And we know the pressures are real for so many of us, and it's happening right across this country. So in Ontario, there was a hunger report published yesterday that showed residents in that province have been turning to relief organizations like the food banks in greater numbers and more often than ever before. Six years running, they're just seeing that growth. And when I listened to this story that we're going to play for you now from Global's Mike Drolet, I was sickened to hear how it's pushing some people past their breaking point. As CEO of the Mississauga Food Bank, Megan Nichols deals with need every day. But that need has evolved into a crisis, the likes of which they've never seen. In the past two weeks alone, she's fielded five calls from clients seeking help in ending their own life. So people are so desperate, they're coming here for food, but then they're asking you about assisted suicide? Yes. That's, you're having people ask you yes. about assisted suicide? Yes, yes. I, when I say that this is an emergency in the community, people who are living at the bottom income percentile in our community are talking to us now about taking their own lives because it's too hard to be poor any longer. A new report from Feed Ontario paints a grim picture. 587,000 people visited Ontario food banks a total of 4.3 million times over the past year, a 42% increase since 2019, the sixth consecutive year where there's been a hike. Also worrisome, one in three food bank users are seeking help for the first time. And it's not just an urban issue. The food bank in Iqaluit reports demand has increased 12% every month this year. Last summer, summer of 2021, we averaged between 100 to 150 meals per day. Right now, we're seeing between 400 to 500 meals per day. It's the same story in food banks across the country. More people are visiting more often. Add rising food prices coupled with a decrease in donations and it's math that doesn't work in their favor. Put another way, Feed Ontario says inventory that would normally last two to three months is gone after two to three weeks. 
donors who would normally um, give to the food bank and support financially no longer have um, that available income to, to support it. And in some circumstances, um, donors have turned into actual food bank visitors. Long term, they'd like to see changes to social assistance and minimum wage. But as people's desperation grows, if donations don't increase, they worry they could be fielding even more crisis calls in the near future. Mike Drolet, Global News, Toronto. Oh boy, mm-hmm. uh, this hurts my heart, Loren. Sometimes you, you you think, or maybe even you say out loud under certain circumstances, I can't take this anymore, I can't do this anymore. And you feel like you can't, but ultimately you find a way to, to conquer or overcome the circumstances in, in your life that are uh, feeling at that time insurmountable. To imagine that there are individuals who are going to the food bank and to, to other outlets and saying, I am at my breaking point. And when I say breaking point, I'm considering taking my own life because the circumstances of life are becoming too difficult to handle. That's got to be a wake-up call on so many fronts for so many people. I listened to the story three times now this morning and just sitting here with Brett, just was trying hard not to tear up because I those feelings of desperation are hard for many Canadians and, and, and how to manage that desperate feeling. But then when you look and you say to yourself, you know, I can make it to this weekend or I can stretch my budget to the end of this month or I can stretch my budget to the end of the year, Brett. But then when you look at, into the next year, and you're hearing all these warning signs about this being around high prices for for months to come, that's hard to, that's hard to figure out how to budget for that and also mentally how to manage that for so many. And one of the things that's coming out of this is it's just a perspective shift for me. Like I've been, I I was joking with you off the air, like, ah, God, I got to lose weight. I've been lamenting the fact that I've put on some weight over the pandemic, the quarantine 15 and then some, but that's because I can't afford, like I can afford to do that. I can afford to Mm -hmm. overindulge. I can afford to eat. I look forward to the holiday season because I get to go out with my loved ones, with my friends and indulge and imbibe. And hearing this story, it's just, a, you use the word, Greg, wake up call, you know, hunger doesn't take a holiday. So I'd like, I'm glad that today I'll be at Harvest Manitoba, 1085 Winnipeg Avenue from 10 until 2, um, asking Manitobans to, to help out. And you can do so, by the way, at harvestmanitoba.ca. Um, and uh, you can also call 204 982 Six three and as well, Loren. Uh, we, there's a different phone number that we wanted to share as well. Well, in listening to this, I'm sure that's triggering things for many people. And you think about, you know, where your own mental health is at, or your bottom line is at. And so, if you're hearing this and struggling and looking for help, 24/7, the Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support Line runs in this province, 24 hours a day, every day of the week, and that number is one eight seven seven four three five seven one seven zero. I'm just going to say it again, one 435 7170 And uh, if you can give today or any day, now is the time because that need, man, it is immense. I just want to jump in before we break here, guys. Like, um, Not, not to, to harp on anything, but I know what it feels like to be... Um, you know, I've, I've had to give up my home. I've been in desperate situations uh, in the past and it's only because I had a support system. And I know I've shared this in the past with the two of you and with our listeners, not everybody has 
a support system. Not everyone is strong enough to reach out and say that I need help. Can you imagine always being able to feed yourself and feed your family? And then, you know, November 2022 comes along and there's just not enough money for the food that you need to keep your kids nourished, to keep them healthy. And then what do you do? That's a hard call to make. That's a hard, hard search on the internet to say, where do I get help? So if you know somebody who might be struggling with this, you know, maybe just put your arm around them and, and, and maybe walk them through that. If you can help them yourselves, there's lots of ways that we can go about this, but just realize not everyone has a safety net. Not everyone has a support system as readily available as you might imagine. We have a vehicle pass for Canadian's Winter Wonderland at Red River Exhibition Park, which starts this weekend. And it has to do with uh, something that Jeff Braun's got in his newscast. It's a story that has brought much delight and much amusement to all of us. Um, sounds like somebody's really exciting, excited <laughs> over here. We have lots of panting over the, the, the squirrels shooting blanks. I was shocked that you got through reading that at 6 o'clock, Jeff, without laughing. But Jeff wrote this line. Researcher, research out of the University of Manitoba has found climate change may have left more male squirrels on the prairies shooting blanks <laughs> while squirrels in Africa are growing larger feet. It, there's a serious side to this story. The subtle changes researchers found at the U of M are a dire warning about the wider effects of global warming. But putting that aside, we, we had a lot of laugh in the newsroom about how did they come across this. I could see that you'd notice changes in feet, Braun, but we yeah. had a lot of questions about when did they take the leap of should we also check their semen? I don't have the answers to this. That's what you're driving <laughs> and I don't even want to talk about it anymore because okay. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. Okay, so that's where we got, how we got to this point, Brett. <laughs> Alright, so what we want to know from you is what's the weirdest thing you've ever researched? ever studied perhaps you wrote a paper on something or maybe just the weirdest thing you've ever ever found yourself googling like if sometimes we fall down rabbit holes whether you're sitting at your computer or you're on your phone and uh yeah tell us a story for a chance to win that pass we'll pick a winner at 9 15 but let's go around the horn here greg mackling start us up well when you shared this story with us this morning loren I actually said, oh, Richardson Ground Squirrel. That's uh, Gainer the Gopher, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders mascot. He's a Richardson Ground Squirrel. Don't ask me why I know that. You, Only you from Googled maybe it. looking up something about uh, Gainer the Gopher, and we were talking about it. But the strangest thing, and this just goes back a couple of weeks, on a Saturday night, I'm at a Blue Bombers social in Regina, and I'm Googling Gabby's playhouse we have something you gotta see show them gabby <laughs> all new episodes of gabby's dollhouse are pop 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 popping it's true <laughs> why you might ask because when we were asking zach caleros about what uh, saturday night might look like pre-gray cup he mentioned the fact that he'd be watching uh Gabby's dollhouse with his daughter, multiple episodes. <laughs> and most of us sort of looked around at each other and went, have you ever heard of this show? Nope. So uh, there were a bunch of sports guys uh, digging into what in fact <laughs> is Gabby's dollhouse. Where, where does one watch this? Uh... You can actually, apparently you can see it on Netflix. 
Uh, Gabby is the main character. She's a positive, determined, and just a little bit klutzy kid. She's not afraid to be herself. She loves cats, cooking, pretending, and of course, being with all of her friends. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, good for good for Zach. I want to be a good dad ahead of the big game. Um, Jeff Braun, let's go to you next. Yeah, the, um, I've got this light fixture in my kitchen, and it's an odd one. It, it takes these uh, fluorescent lights, but they're circle lights like halos, and there's two of them attached to it. And there's a part called the ballast, which is uh, one end of it hooks up to the wires coming out of the wall. The other end hooks up to the light bulbs. And mine burnt out like 10 years ago, and I went to half a dozen different stores in the city, could not find a ballast like that anywhere. So I had started digging in online and I was Googling around for like an hour and I finally found a store in Florida that sold them <laughs> and I had to get them to ship it to me. And it was, it was, I was like, I can't believe I have to order this part from for a light fixture from Florida. I can't believe you just didn't let that, let that fixture die. I was, I got no windows in my kitchen. It's pitch black in there without it. So I just, I had no other option. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So it was weird. And I get uh, three emails from them every year about sales they're having at that ballast store in Florida and stuff like that. So, uh, that's kind of interesting. Good job finding that. That's some serious internet sleuthing. Well done, sir. Well done. Cameron Pointers, what about you? Oh, God. Um, like, I constantly am doing this. Like, I'm researching weird things. Like, I just went through my, my uh, like, phone browser history, and this is what I came up with. This is just from yesterday. Asiatic lions <laughs> in the Gur National Park in India. Don't worry, their population is growing. They're the only pocket of lions uh, outside of Africa. Um, and then, uh, of course, I followed into the historic uh, old hunting ranges of tigers uh, which also is growing. Don't worry, the populations on both sides are growing. Don't worry about that. Ziti pasta versus matacotti. Um, uh, the matacotti are much bigger tubes, basically. Um, where is the 100th meridian, and is it really where the Great Plains begin? <laughs> and West of Brandon, isn't it? <laughs> yes, you're right. Absolutely. And uh, what is the resale value of a figment popcorn bucket from Epcot at Disney World? Oh, and what is the resale value? About 300 bucks. There was like, people were lining up for like six hours at Disney World for these like not too long ago. So, oh, did you so get you one? Do you have one? I'm not that, no, I, I'm not going to go all the way to Florida, spend all that money on a ticket to go and stand in line like some of these people for a figment popcorn bucket. Does that sound like something that's worth it? A figment popcorn bucket. Okay. Well, I got to look yes. this up right now. Um, Loren, what about you? nuts for him. Nothing as crazy as Cam, but ever since we got the dog, there has been a lot of Googling. Do dogs have dreams? Do dogs have nightmares? What happens when a dog takes Advil? Chicken bones and dogs. Dogs and chicken bones. Dog eats plastic hose. Dog sled harness. Harness for dog for sled for kids. Like These are the long list of things. Probably every other day, I'm Googling something about that dog because he keeps eating things he's not supposed to, including the chicken wings, right off the stove while I was picking the kids up the other night. <laughs> So it's a lot of dog Googling. Okay. It's not weird. It's just that you never thought you'd get there. As a person who was adamant that they would never have a pet, and now here I am like, my dog has allergies. The vet says I can give him Benadryl. Whoops, I gave him Advil, not Benadryl. Then I sort of laid on the ground with him for an hour thinking he was going to die. Like, this is where my life is at now. Did you really lie on the ground with him for an hour? Well, I was worried he was going to die. Oh, man. Jeff he wasn't. That, nothing's going to kill that dog. <laughs> Got an <laughs> iron stomach. <laughs> Mine actually has to do with the dog as well, uh, because it was my grade one, I think it was grade one science project, (laughs) 
And uh, it wasn't very scientific and not much research went into it, but it was, which treat does my dog like the most? So it was my uh, childhood dog, Rags, and I would just set up treats. But I did a whole project on it. Like, you know when you had the big cardboard whiteboard? Yeah. Yeah. I had pictures of my dog and the different treats that I tried feeding him. Which ones did he like? Which ones did he not like? I guess it wasn't very scientific at all. Which one did he like the I, most? I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> this was so long. It might have been like the pepperoni or... Uh... <laughs> pepperoni. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So 204-780-6868. The weirdest thing you've ever done for an assignment, for a study, for a, just Google straight up research. The weirdest thing you've researched for a chance to win a vehicle pass for Canada's Winter Wonderland at Red River Exhibition Park. We're going to pick a winner for that at 9.15. And keep it clean. Ish. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good caveat. One of the reasons why I love the holiday season, especially this year that we're getting more closer to normal, is that you can gather with your loved ones, with friends, and, you know, break bread and just go out and eat and have fun together. But hunger does not take a holiday. So on this Giving Tuesday, later this morning, I will be at Harvest Manitoba at uh, 1085 Winnipeg Avenue because we're going to be asking for your help. And the need is great out there, Brett. We know last fall, an average of 11,000 hampers per month were being handed out. Last month in October, more than 15,000, so a nearly 40% increase in demand. Vince Barletta is the president and CEO of Harvest and joins us now. Good morning, Vince. Good morning. So any signs of this slowing down, or is there a sense that November numbers could continue to climb? Well, we're, we're still waiting to see the November numbers, but you mentioned those numbers from October, that year-over-year increase of 40%, 11,000 hampers this time last year, 15,000 in 2022. Uh, the trends that I've been seeing uh, leave me no reason to believe that we're seeing a leveling off of that demand uh, this past month, and certainly the story continues to be inflation, 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 uh, stretching people's food budgets to the max. Vince, we want to play uh, for you a, a chunk of a story we first aired at 6.37 this morning. It's from Global's Mike Drolet. It involves the steady rise in people using food banks in Ontario and, and, and how some are being pushed past their breaking point. As CEO of the Mississauga Food Bank, Megan Nichols deals with need every day. But that need has evolved into a crisis, the likes of which they've never seen. In the past two weeks alone, she's fielded five calls from clients seeking help in ending their own life. So people are so desperate, they're coming here for food, but then they're asking you about assisted suicide? Yes. That's, you're having people ask you yes. about assisted suicide? Yes, yes. I, when I say that this is an emergency in the community, people who are living at the bottom income percentile in our community are talking to us now about taking their own lives because it's too hard to be poor any longer. Vince, when you hear that, what, what goes through your head? Well, I got to tell you, I was speaking with Megan out in Mississauga just, uh, just last week, and she was telling me about uh, some of the challenges that she's heard herself personally. Uh, we know that this story of food insecurity, of uh, hunger, of food bank usage is happening coast to coast to coast, uh, in our big cities, in our small towns, northeast, uh, south and west. Uh, sadly, I'm not surprised to, to hear those stories coming out of 
coming out of Ontario. I know uh, for the tens of thousands of, of folks that access our services at Harvest, they run the spectrum of individuals who are struggling already with mental health, struggling with physical health, with disability, uh, with a whole host of other uh, of other challenges. And so as sad as those stories are, Greg, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear them uh, at this uh, very stressful time that we're coming into. 90,000 people use Harvest Manitoba's services. 49% of those people are children. So today is of ultimate importance, Vince. So what can Manitobans do today specifically to help out? Well, we're asking for Manitobans this Giving Tuesday to give and to dig deep. And if your family's doing okay, if you've done okay this year and have something extra that you can give back to the community, whether that's your time as a volunteer, whether that's your, uh, your funds uh, through a monetary donation, or in the case of Harvest, uh, your food, which we always need any time of year. And certainly uh, we, we appreciate that support very much at Harvest Manitoba, but whatever cause you support in the community, think about supporting that cause on this Giving Tuesday, so many organizations all across Winnipeg, all over Manitoba, simply would not be able to operate without the generosity of Manitoba. And so whether it's Harvest or any organization that you support, consider supporting it this Giving Tuesday. We have just about a minute left here, Vince, but you know, you talked about the monetary donations and often in the past I've dropped off the food donations, but when it comes to just maybe getting that cash, how much farther can you stretch that given the context that you might have within the community that, that can take those dollars farther? Well, that's right. I mean, the way that we operate in terms of a ratio of food to cash, uh, $1 of cash versus $10 of, uh, of food is the, is the ratio that we're operating under. Uh, we're able to leverage those funds to do retail food reclamation. We're able to work directly with producer groups, uh, able to do our food drives all across the community. So these days we're leveraging that dollar 10 to 1 uh, to get food out into the community. So Again, uh, we appreciate the food, but we do need the cash to run our trucks and operate our building and do all the other things that allow us to get food to tens of thousands of Manitobans every month. Vince Barletta, President and CEO of Harvest Manitoba. Thank you very much, and we'll see you in a couple of hours. See you soon. And again, to make a donation, you can visit harvestmanitoba.ca or you can visit us at Harvest Manitoba, 1085 Winnipeg Avenue. We'll be live on location from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. And a shout out to Manitoba Pork. They're donating 1,000 pounds of pork uh, today to Harvest. So that's, well done. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. The government, for now, is not planning to make alcohol available at grocery stores. What do you think? At cjob.com, 61% say good idea. 39% say bad idea. Hmm. Cast your vote. cjob.com. You see the, the result surprises you? I don't know. I, 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 I'm surprised because we've been talking about this for years. And back in the spring, they introduced a bill that would have paved the way for more alcohol 
in different stores. And so yesterday they, they announced that that bill never went through. The session expired, and so they had to reintroduce the bill yesterday. And so what they did include in it is that more private wine stores and beer vendors can have a full range of alcohol now if this bill passes. But what they took away, Greg, was this pilot project that would have looked at supplying alcohol to some you know, grocery stores or convenience stores. And so they're walking back from that a bit, saying they need to study it more. And so when I say, hmm, to that question of the day, it's more just because I don't know how many more ways we can talk about this. I thought the public had said that's what they wanted. The Tories said that's what they wanted. And now here we are hitting pause, Greg. Yeah, well, I wonder how much the public really endorses this. Maybe they did want it, yeah. Yeah, you know, the the, the security question, uh, that's popped up. And and depending on what's in those aisles and what volumes, uh, are they all of a sudden, do grocery stores become a target again for the types of crimes and shoplifting and outright theft that we saw years ago? Manitoba Liquor Marts have done an outstanding job of of curtailing that and putting systems into place so you don't have to worry about that. I am an unabashed uh, a fan of Manitoba Liquor Marts. I think what they do, they do extremely well. The, the retail experience is as good as any in the province. We've got some incredible private uh, beer and wine stores. And so to expand the offerings that those outstanding businesses can offer to their uh, customers, I think, is is a good one. I, I'm I'm all in favor of that. Very comfortable with that. Uh, why not just expand the, uh, the the program with mini liquor marts inside some of these larger grocery stores? If that's the convenience we're looking for, you know, this might sound protectionist, and I'm not going to apologize for that. But you know, Sobeys and Westins uh, and yeah. and Save on Foods have been making record profits. They don't need to add to those profits on the backs of Manitobans. Uh, you know, uh, if, if those profits are going to be made on selling a liter of wine or, 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 or a, a, a six pack or a 12 pack of beer, uh, that, those profits can stay right here in Manitoba. Thank you very much. And if you want to, uh, you know, if this is really all about convenience, then let's open some more of these mini liquor marts in in larger uh, grocery stores. So, in the in the using the word convenience, they are more convenient, Brett, because they're there. Like the stu- superstore I might go to has a liquor store in it, but if you have your groceries, you can't push your cart inside. So you have to leave your cart outside and then go in, or you guess, I guess you go get the bottle first. And it takes a bit of thought, but it's not a big deal. It's not inconvenient, and I hadn't thought as much of late about the possibility of theft if we add liquor to these smaller stores because we haven't really been hearing about it anymore but that's because they have the secured entrances everywhere so would you like to see the ability to just walk into a store and get for me it doesn't i'm just i'm take it or leave it because where i live i live like two minutes away on foot to Safeway and right beside the Safeway is a liquor store. Right. So you're not if, going out of your way to get to either or. Yeah. And when we used to work at Polo Park, if I had to stop for groceries, there was a Safeway on Ness and right beside it was a liquor store. So for me, like it's never been a situation where I thought, ah, I really, I wish that these were closer together. Or when I, if I ever had, when I lived uh, on Cordon and Harrow, I would often go to Grant Park. There's a liquor store there and what's right beside it in the, in the mall co-op. So if so, it, uh, I've never had this issue. But like, don't a lot of um, uh, like if you live in a outside of Winnipeg, yeah. if you go to the grocery store, aren't, isn't the liquor store typically a part of that? Not all of them, but in the community I live, if you go to uh, I think Saint Pierre Jolie, the, the grocery store there has liquor in it. Morris, one of the stores, you, you know, it's a, gro- a smaller grocery store and it's alcohol in it in a non-secured 
area. So that in small towns, that's what they have to do because it didn't make sense for MLCC to open up a shop there. But I, I, I don't know in that case who takes what home for profit. Mm. Greg, do you know? Well, no. Well, uh, clearly uh, a lot of those uh, smaller operations in small town Manitoba are not owned by multinational corporations or by right. uh, large companies, right? They're owned by local entrepreneurs in most cases. And so I have no problem with that setup. And, and yeah, I'm not going to apologize for, you know, keeping money in Manitoba. Hey, I ever. didn't think of that till you said it. The Loblaws of the world have been making bank on all of us this past yeah, year. Yeah, they don't need another 50 cents <laughs> just because I decide, you know, you to pick up a bottle of wine. They, they don't, they don't, they don't need it. And uh, yeah, so if it's all about the convenience, let's, let's meet halfway. From groceries to gas, we know everything is costing more these days. And that has a growing number of people turning to places like food banks, more Manitobans walking the poverty line. And then, of course, there are people who are slipping below the poverty line or even slipping through the cracks. And as the temperature drops and we get into winter, we know that need will only grow, particularly for our most vulnerable. And so that's why we're looking to help fill the Frightliner and bring badly needed items like winter coats and more to Silo Mission. We're joined now by its CEO, Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud. Good morning, Tessa. Good morning. Thanks so much for having us. Well, thanks for always doing what you do. And before we get into how we can all help, let's just talk about the need right now. What are you seeing from the homeless community? We're seeing a lot of people experiencing homelessness that, of course, as things get colder, need that warmer gear. Um, we're also seeing a lot of folks, as you mentioned, who you know might be coming to Salem for meals, but still staying housed. But we're the difference. Because of inflation, they can no longer afford food and rent. So we're seeing a huge growth in the amount of folks that are coming to access food in the drop-in. And, of course, all of our ability to prepare that food comes from donations. So, um, or to give out warm socks comes from donations. So it's definitely, um, you know, uh, a bit nerve-wracking going into winter with inflation being what it is. We just, uh, Tessa, it's Greg here, and we, we did our Knickers and Kickers initiative just a, a few weeks ago, and always thrilled to do this and fill the freight liner is a, such a wonderful opportunity to connect with the public. I think it's important to note here that people don't have to necessarily go out and buy anything new. They don't necessarily have to donate money, although that's always appreciated, but there is an opportunity to help out in other ways, in particular with uh, gently used winter coats and the like. Yeah, gently used bedding items. Um, you know, we have 143 people sleeping in our shelter every night. We have 105 people sleeping in our different types of supportive housing. So gently used bedding, uh, gently used adult clothing, um, especially right now, you know, coats, bits, mitts, uh, boots and mitts, whatever you've kind of, you know, if you're not using it this season because you've replaced it with something new, but it's still wearable and good, um, we'd love to make sure that it can warm somebody else up this winter. The Freightliner, of course, comes from Trans Solutions Truck Centers. How important has your partnership with this organization become over the last few years? We are just so blessed by Trans Solutions Truck Centers and Ken Talbot in particular for all of the support and leadership that he offers this event. This is the sixth year that Phil the Freightliner is going to be held. And uh, to date, they've raised 
like a hundred thousand pounds of food, mm. clothing, bedding, hygiene, etc. And we've seen all of that go out the door uh, to people that need it and to people for whom it's making a significant difference in their day to day. And as you mentioned, you know, cash is also a huge, uh, you know, support and, and very uh, awesome because it lets us go and buy those specific things we might need. And they've raised over three hundred thousand dollars. So, um, you know, over the last six years. So we're really hoping that this year can be another huge success and we can fill that Freightliner and maybe and then some and make sure that we have enough to get us through supporting all of our neighbors uh, who need our love and attention this winter. You know, T- Tessa, you said several things this morning that have caught my attention because I think we, we paint a picture of what we think of when we think of people in need. And you highlighted two things. One, you're seeing more people come to eat meals at Salem. They might have homes, but the mm-hmm. food cost of food is high. And then, you know, when you think about even winter coats, there still might be people who aren't homeless but can't afford just those basic needs to get through the winter, right? It's not not just people on the street. There are people who are off the street so yeah. the demand for that, is that even up as well? Even if they aren't homeless, they might be coming to you for that clothing and for that extra help? Yeah, absolutely. So people who uh, need it can come and book a time in our clothing room and, and get supported and set up. Thanks again to donations from people who have gently used items or new items. Um, and we're definitely seeing an increase in that need. And so it is it is people who uh, are housed and, you know, had been making it and inflation is just making the difference for them. And so this year, you know, maybe maybe last year they were in a position to give their winter coat away. And this year they're in a position to be like, oh, I don't have one. Um, so really trying to bridge that gap and keep people housed. A lot of our work at Siloam is about housing loss prevention. So how do we support people to stay housed so that we're not seeing more people experiencing homelessness? And one of the ways that we do that is by offering meals, by offering clothing, by offering programming, by offering medical care, and making sure that people have access to those necessities that, you know, come out of pocket. Uh, but really, you can't survive on a pig winter without them. Tessa, success stories are, are wonderful. Give us uh, just some a hopeful note here on this Tuesday morning that that there are folks that come through your organization, come to where you are, and and, and find another life and and sort of reinvent themselves because of their time associated with Silo. Well, it's so interesting that you asked that question because we're actually doing that focus for Giving Tuesday. So you can check us out on social media and see all of these stories of people who have managed to, with support, transform their lives. Uh, and and thanks to the generosity of people that give to Siloam for that. So we have, you know, um, people who have fleed here because of long-term abusive relationships. That's one of the pathways into homelessness. Um, but able to stay here and get connected with Transition Services, which is our caseworkers who house people. Um, you know, and so this, uh, we're obviously not using her real name, but Trisha, um, she was given the support to, to find new housing and to eventually regain custody of her kids and reunify and go back to school and, um, you know, is now working and housed and her, her children aren't going to have that experience of homelessness. So we can also, by offering somebody support today, change a generational impact. All right. Well, the event's coming up not too far away. When is it happening? Where is it happening? So it's at Boston Pizza at 1630 Keniston Boulevard, and that's on Saturday, December 10th from 9 to 5. And you don't even need to get out of your car. You can fill up your trunk, pop by, pop it open, um, and volunteers, including myself in the morning, will unload it for you and, and fill that Freightliner and make sure that people in need have what they uh, what they deserve uh, and, and should get this winter. Silo Mission CEO Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So once, once again, fill the Freightliner. It's coming up on December 10th, starting at 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. at Boston Pizza. And it, if you've never been to this event, like, it's just a fun day. 
Like the people who, like the, all of the staff at Trans Solutions, they're out there loading up the truck. Mm-hmm. Ken, he's such a great guy, and he just leads a great team. And then Boston Pizza, they've been wonderful hosts of this event now for several years. You think about the joy that you actually get from giving, right, Greg? Like if, when we do knickers and kickers or Freightliner, even just be, watching people come in with smiles on their faces, they feel good handing it over. It's joyful. Oh, oh 100%. And then... Often they will have a story as to why they're doing what they're doing and what's inspired them to take action that day. And so for as inspirational as stories that uh, Tessa might have, our, our donors and those that step up in the community often have a story of their own, maybe someone that's inspired them or maybe themselves have, have come back from a, a, and battled and beaten the odds. So it, it's rewarding on so many levels, you guys. There's research out of the University of Manitoba that's found that climate change may have left more male squirrels on the prairies shooting blanks while squirrels in Africa are growing larger feet. And that had us wondering, like, uh, how would you even think to study that? How would you even think to do the research? And how would you collect the samples required um, so I'm hoping someone today is going to bring the U of M researcher on because I am genuinely curious, but it's actually an important story in the grand yeah. scheme of things in terms of the impact of climate change. But I do have some lighter questions. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So that got us thinking about the weird things that we have researched, whether it's something that we did uh, for an assignment. Uh, like I think GMAC. Before we read the winning text here, I think back to, I believe it was 1993, I would have been in, I think, grade, I guess, grade 11 English. Um, it was either grade 10 or grade 11. But it was uh, about the 1993 NCAA football championship controversy because there were four teams that were all vying for the, the title. The, there was Florida State, West Virginia, the Mountaineers of West Virginia, Notre Dame, and... Nebraska. So I wrote a paper okay. uh, outlining the argument for all of each of them individually to be champs. Wow. <laughs> so who ultimately did you? Oh, who ultimately would you have chosen as champion back in '93? I can't remember who. Uh, if I if I came to a conclusion in that thesis, the Florida State ended up being winning the championship, if memory serves. But. That was kind of a fun paper. I'm just sorry. I'm just remembering that off the top of my head now. Oh, no, that that is fascinating. That that uh, ties into the time I got into a very, very large argument with one of my favorite classmates and friends in grade six about what happens in the National Football League when a team concedes a convert. He insisted that you did not have to kick the ball to the other team, uh, you know, and that's exactly what happened. And uh, things got so heated, I actually, I hate to admit this, but I, I attempted to stab him with a pencil. Oh, <laughs> okay. We'll have to learn more about that. But we got to pick our winner here for the, the weird things we've researched. Carmen Loren is our winner. One of the most unusual things I've researched, Carmen says, is growing up working on the farm, my dad always whistled while he worked. He always whistled the same distinctive tune, but I never recognized the song. So one day I asked. He told me it was a hit Japanese song when he was a kid. Years later, when burning CDs was a thing we did for those we cared about. I tried to seek out the song he routinely whistled with no lyrics, no year, and not much of an idea other than a tune. (laughs) Much searching on the World Wide Web and listening to many hits of yesteryear, I was able to recognize the tune he whistled. And it's called Sukiyaki. And let me just pull that up here. Never heard this. It's a delightful song. 
And um, it's a song from Kyu Sakamoto, composed by Hachidai Nakamura. And this listener, Carmen, says, Now I can reminisce how this one hit song from 1962 became his theme song of my youth. So at that time, I made him the CD with the found song for his birthday. And if you knew my dad, you would not be surprised that he teared up when he heard it. Tough guy with a soft heart. He's still with us and still whistling that tune. Carmen, what a wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing it. You win! And this song cracked the top 100 billboards in the States in 1963 from this Japanese crooner. And uh, the lyrics I'm looking at right now is, Let us walk towards the top so as not to spill tears, walking while crying, autumn days to remember, then lonely, lonely nights. So I'm not oh, sure if it's a love song or a sad love song. <laughs> It's the time of year when people start looking ahead, right, Greg? You're talking about maybe plans for the new year, plans for resolutions that you might want to make. And if you think you are the type that should make a resolution, you might want to think again. Yeah, well, and maybe now is the time versus a month from now, December 28th. Maybe today is the day. Maybe the next couple of days are the days to contemplate what sort of changes do you want to make in your life for 2023? Because it turns out that approximately 80% of New Year's resolutions fail within the first four weeks of the new year, yet over 40% of North Americans continue to make those New Year's resolutions, and up to 70% of these resolutions are health-related, Loren. Our next guest says it's time to rethink resolutions and has some ideas on how to help, and in particular, help women. We're joined now by Andrea Cates from Best You Nutrition. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me on this morning. So I'm someone who actually always makes a New Year's resolution. It's usually always the same one. It is always to get healthy, Andrea. And I can tell you for, you know, 45 years in a row, there's only been maybe three of those years that I've stuck to it. So why do we need to rethink these? Well, I think the problem is a lot of times people have, they have the good intention, which is great, but they're not setting a real goal. So getting healthy is a great concept, but it's not really a goal. It doesn't really, um, you know, set you up for success. You have to really think about, you know, ways to track your progress, setting realistic goals. Um, having confidence in yourself to make those happen and to plan to achieve, right? And, and I think the big piece there is planning and, and how do we do that? You know, and sometimes that's bringing on some help. So whether that's a fitness um, coach or a nutrition coach or somebody that can keep you more accountable for setting up those goals and actually working towards them in a meaningful way. Andrea, is there anything to this idea... <sighs> I don't want to out my wife here, but I'm going to, she will, uh, you know, she, she's, uh, she's on a fitness regime and she's doing very, very well at it. But you know, every once in a while, say on a Saturday, she will, you know, she'll have, uh, maybe an extra slice of pizza or extra, extra glass of wine. And she has a saying her and her sister start fresh Monday. Is there something about a Monday, something about a first of the month, something about a new year that is conducive? to setting and maybe starting a journey of, of goal fulfillment? 
Um, well, two things on that. First of all, I think she's totally fine to have a piece of pizza or a glass of wine on the weekend. I think that we have to still remember that the food is supposed to bring us joy, right? So it's not about, you know, restricting ourselves and punishing ourselves all the time, that we can we can do that and not feel guilty about it. So I think that's first and foremost super important. But, you know, whether we start on Monday or we start on a Thursday or we start on January 1st or we start on June 3rd, it doesn't really matter necessarily when we start. It's the fact that are we starting? And I think a big piece of why we're starting is really understanding why. Why are we really doing this? You know, why do you want to get healthy? Why do you want to lose weight? And I think that's a piece that when I work with my clients on the nutrition side of things, I really focus on. Um, Because if you just want to get to a certain number on the scale, great. But then what, right? So, you know, do you want to get to that number on the scale so that you have more energy to run around with your kids? Do you want to, you know, get to that number on the scale so that you feel more confident in a bathing suit in the summer? So whatever that reason is, I think is really important for that to be a big focus. Of, of what you're doing and how you're doing it. So the idea would be, you know, you set your own mission statement, if you will, and not just have it be, you know, I want to be thinner, but maybe something would be more effective to say, I want to reduce my blood pressure if I have high blood pressure, or I want to reduce my cholesterol if that's my issue. It, it, the mission statement counts. It's super, super important. And and really having that measurable goal. You know, often we hear people saying they want to get to a certain number on the scale because it's an easy marker. You either got it or you didn't. But when you look at other numbers that are important, your blood pressure, your cholesterol numbers, your blood sugar numbers, those kinds of things are really, really important too. And so maybe taking, you know, that pressure off the scale per se and figuring out something else. And from a fitness perspective, you know, maybe it's I want to be able to do X number of squats or I want to be able to lift this amount of weight. So, so figuring out some different focuses sometimes that it's not just all about the number on the scale is important too. How important is it to be realistic about your goals and where you want to get and how you set that expectation about not only where you're starting from and having a genuine idea of where you're starting from, Andrea, and what's realistic for you to achieve, say, in three, six, nine, twelve months? I think it's imperative. Honestly, like I would love to be an Olympian, but that's not realistic for me to be doing, right? So so putting a goal that's realistic is is you know, a super important piece of the puzzle um, and in a realistic time frame, right? So, so I, you know, if that, if it is a, you know, a scale number or getting your blood pressure down, you're not going to get your blood pressure to where you want it probably in two weeks, but that might take six months. And that's when I think it's really important to work with professionals because they can probably help guide you in a realistic way, in a time sensitive way with a plan, right? And so when, you know, I, we like to sort of say in the um, Shauna Maldrew from Infinity um, Coaching, she says that, you know, you wouldn't put the jets on the ice without a coach. So why are you putting yourself in the gym or why are you putting yourself in the kitchen trying to figure out your health without a coach? So sometimes you need that extra help um, to make that happen. The coaching is helping. The friendship can help too. And on the other hand, what sometimes doesn't help, in my view, might be social media and that pressure it puts on us, Angie, to, to obtain goals that just, you know, quite frankly, when we're talking of unrealistic goals, what's presented to us sometimes is so far-fetched that we should maybe not use it at all as a guideline. It's so true. I mean, first of all, there's so much misinformation out there on social media. I mean, it, it boggles my mind on what people that are, you know, our influencers are telling people to do with their nutrition or their workouts that is like, just completely unsafe and unhealthy. So first and foremost, that piece. But also, you know, we don't want to compare ourselves. So whether you're doing that in real life, you know, with somebody that's sitting in the gym beside you or somebody that's on your Instagram, comparing ourselves to others, you're always going to fall up short because you're never going to be 
the best at, well, if you're Michael Phelps, maybe you'll be the best swimmer or you'll be the best at something. But well, you're not, there's always going to be somebody that's stronger or thinner or, you know, or in better shape or whatever that looks like. So when we stop comparing ourselves to other people, that's really important. And the only person we should really kind of compare ourselves to is ourselves, right? So am I doing better now than I was doing a month ago or six months ago or a year ago? And that's a really important piece too. So we're tracking our measurements and we're tracking our our achievements so that we can say, hey, you know what, this is working. You know, these are the things that I have seen that are, I am progressing. Because sometimes we don't always see that in a mirror or sometimes we don't feel it. You know, we're, oh, it feels like you're stuck or it feels like you haven't had a lot of progression. Um, so that's why tracking things is really important so that we can see, hey, you know what, actually six months ago I was only doing X and now I'm doing Y. And so that's a big improvement and, and something that you should be proud of yourself for. Andrea, well, and- Go ahead. I know we got to let you go, Andrea, but just that whole idea of just not being hard on yourself and realizing you're not the expert in this. And so having somebody to guide you a little bit goes an awfully long way. It really does. And I mean, there's so many opportunities for that. I mean, you can do one-on-one coaching, there's group coaching, there's events, there's all sorts of different ways that you can kind of find a place for yourself to get yourself motivated, to get yourself started. Um, You know, so lots of different options in terms of budget and time commitments and all those kinds of things. And I think that that's really important to seek out what you're looking for um, so that you get a little bit of help because doing it on our own is really hard. Andrea Cates, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Andrea is from Best You Nutrition, and you can reach her via email, andrea at fitcommunications.ca. Always great tips, Greg. And another kind of tongue-in-cheek tip from Freddie says, remember, it's not what you eat between Christmas and New Year's. It's what you eat between New Year's and Christmas. <laughs> All year Very round. Very good. It, it took me a while yes. to process that. And I was like, that I don't know what your point is. Oh, wait, you mean like from New Year's all the way around to Christmas. Got Very it, Freddie. I love the other 51 weeks of the year. <laughs> exactly. Got it.